tricky enough, if we look at that, you actually told me what they do. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, did I, I did, I did, I did. Ahoy, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 313 Challenge, where we challenge ourselves to communicate in a more concise, thus more powerful way. Today, I've got a very exciting guest, and it might be a little bit different than our normal guest, because we're not talking about his business. We're talking about the business of crypto and NFTs and blockchains and, and all these new emerging technologies that actually have been emerging for a while, but now people are hearing about them. So through a random encounter, I met our guest and we got excited about talking NFTs and crypto and blockchain. I said, wow, you are very articulate about this. I want to learn. Why don't we get you on the show so that we can figure out how to communicate the problem, the solution, the market to give ourselves the tools to engage in more conversations. His name is Savio Clemente, and he is not only a wellness coach, but he is a podcaster himself and he is a cancer survivor. You take that and you combine in his IT and technical experience and interest in 2016-ish around blockchain, smart contracts, NFTs, and you have a very dynamic person that you're going to be able to get to meet and hopefully find some new ways or reinforce some of the ways that you're talking about trending technology that some people just get freaked out about. So, Salvia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, this is exciting because it's an application of a business messaging framework to see if we can try to put what is very hard to describe into smaller and smaller boxes. Now, before we get started, I always ask two questions. One is, what do you know about the 313 in all transparency? Like, do you have no idea? You're just like, it's a few numbers. It's M&M's area code. Like, do you have any backdrop on what this process is? Yes, I have heard a couple of your podcasts, so I okay. do know that you um, sort of break it down to three sentences, three words, uh, uh, yeah, three sentences, three words, and then one word to describe your business or describe how you're serving others. Yes, very close. Three sentences, one sentence, and then oh. three words. Right, okay. but hey, you know, yeah. hey, hey, the the idea here is that this isn't pre-manufactured. We're just talking as is, based on the information that you have. Now, secondly, do you think people care more? about the problem that you solve, or do you think people care more, more about what you do? And this could be whether it's wellness, podcasting, cancer surviving, blockchain. Do you think people are more concerned and more interested in the problem that you solve? Or do you think they're more interested in your solution? The problem that I'm solving. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. I think that is the first place final answer because otherwise our conversation would kind of be done. The whole thing is premised on the fact People don't care as much about what you do or what NFTs do or what blockchains do or what, what cryptocurrency does. Sure, they care about it, okay? I'm not saying they don't, but I think they care more about the problems that these things can solve. And at the end, if you can solve a problem, then there's something that could be marketable, could turn into a business, and you can, again, boil it back down to that problem. So... Let us start with a story that possibly shaped you. Now, if it's tied to NFTs and crypto, that's fine. If it's not, we can bring it back in. But rather than read a long bio, I just like to get to know people. And we're sort of, we're just getting to know you. Is there something 
that happened in your past that shaped you? Absolutely. It would be my cancer survival story. Okay. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I was uh, living life. I was uh, working out six days a week. I was eating organic foods. I was seeing a naturopath. I was taking vitamins. I, you know, uh, doing all the right things. I ended up um, sort of uh, having a distended stomach. Like it started growing and growing. And then I started having deep, deep night sweats. And I took a trip to London and Amsterdam with a friend. I remember my bed sheets were soaked. Um, so I knew something I was, I was like, oh, maybe it's just, you know, I tend to run hot. So I, I, I sweat a lot just generally. Um, although I was in a country where it wasn't that, you know, that warm a week later, um, I saw my naturopath. He's like, according to his blood work, something's wrong. You need to, you need to go to the mainstream medicine and, and figure this out for yourself. I'm like, of course. So I did a sonogram. They wouldn't let me out of the office after I did the scan. They, they told me to have someone come pick me up, which I did. I was really confused. They told me I need to go to the hospital right away. I'm like, what? Uh, doctor saw me and within an hour and, and a half, I was seen um, and I was admitted to the fifth floor of the hospital. About a day and a half later, they told me I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage three. Uh, they did a bone marrow aspiration, thankfully didn't go all the way to my brain. Uh, and I was bedridden for a week in the hospital. And then an extra a week, they had to distend about five liters of fluid from my abdomen. Uh, they gave me a um, nephrostomy tube. So I was basically, I couldn't really um, leave the bed. And then three days before I left, so I was there for about two weeks, uh, they told me I need to take my first round of chemo. And uh, I was fortunately able, I decided to do an integrative approach to my cancer. And so I did a combination of mainstream. And so I did my chemo rounds and I did a whole host of other things. And fortunately I was able to beat it in four months. I'm now cancer-free for seven years. Wow. Well, congratulations. And I love the fact that you're taking that experience and it sounds like you're, you're giving back, you're helping other people with their wellness. You're, you're dealing with cancer patients. And at the end of the day, I think we're all going to get cancer, right? Like, like statistically speaking, like even toward the very end. Yeah. It's um, it's disheartening to know that, but yes, that's actually, um, it looks like that's what we're trending towards. Unfortunately. Now I, I know that uh, somebody who's gone through something like that, you can't help but gain resilience or discover resilience or be forced into resilience. And is that something that, you know, have you always had that resiliency or did you just sort of take that for granted? And then all of a sudden, like actually have to flex those muscles. No, I, I think I always had it. Um, I'm a child of three. I'm the youngest, the only boy in the family. And I was just a very independent person. Um, I would just do my own thing. Uh, I was just very resilient in the sense of sort of figuring things out. I traveled to six continents all by myself. I, I um, you know, worked in different industries and fields that some people would sort of be really, you know, surprised at. Um, so when I was told, I remember the doctors telling me, they're like, we've told a lot of people that they have cancer. You're the only one who just basically didn't really do anything emotionally with it. And I, I told them, I was like, what am I going to do? Break down. That's not my nature. My nature is really to see it as a challenge and find ways to overcome it. But I will say emotionally, I don't think I handled it until years later when I went through, uh, I went to a men's retreat in the Catskills and uh, it was, it was like an emotional breakthrough, but beyond that, yeah, I think I've always had that muscle. I just, uh, I think for me, I was forced to face it, you know, something as, as startling as cancer. Now, one of the things that uh, I think we have a choice of doing when we're faced with these challenges, whether it's cancer or understanding a new technology, I, I'm trying to, I'm, there's a big bridge here, but I, I see where this thread goes. 
when you found out, did it inspire you to learn as much as possible about it? Or did you just sort of go, oh my gosh, I don't need to understand this. There's doctors. I just need to follow their directions. What, what route did you take? It, it was definitely the former. I'm someone who will do everything I can to understand something, to you know, flesh it out, to figure out what the um, you know, weak spots are. So I had the bed and internet <laughs> at my disposal, and I kept researching everything I could. I went to all the websites for all the best hospitals. The thing is, I wasn't really given a choice. I was admitted to the hospital, so I didn't, wasn't told something's on your scan and then come in a couple of days later. It all happened so quickly. So for me, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely someone who will look high and low, turn every stone, so to speak. Uh, and for me, I was just really focused on finding a way out of this because I knew my physical body was diseased, but I knew there's something much greater than my physical body. There's a spirit there. There's, you know, there's emotions there. There's a soul there. And uh, I kind of separated the two, Ryan, to be quite honest. I saw the physical body as disease, but I saw myself as, as much greater and, and, you know, someone with more potential. Now this, this may be a big leap, but I'm curious to understand your approach to the challenge of understanding your own cancer, just like your approach to understanding technology and the blockchain and NFTs. And some may be listening being like, what do you, that's, you can't jump there, but I, I follow me here. So you got into a situation where you just learned about it. They didn't let you leave and you had to deal with it. Okay. There's other situations where maybe years ago you had a red flag, you went in, they said, Hey, watch this. And then that thing's growing a little bit and let's check in over time. I feel that uh, in a somewhat weird parallel way, I sort of heard, I was the opposite story, but not with cancer, but with NFTs and crypto and blockchain. I heard about it a long time ago. I was actually emceeing an event that was about blockchain in 2014. And as an MC, it's great because you get to bond with the speakers and you get to hang out and everything. Uh, but you also get to listen. And you always have to listen for the transitions of what you're going to do, right? So you're actively listening. And so Brock Pierce had finished his talk. And at the very end, he said, everybody, put your phone down. Put you just, I want you to focus. I'm going to tell you something. No matter what you do today, no matter what you hear today, no matter what you took from my, my talk, I want you to go home sign up for Coinbase and buy $100 in Bitcoin. Every one of you can afford it. Just that is my final thing. You do that and you thank me later. And so I'm like, all right, guess what I'm doing exactly right now? I've already got my Coinbase. Did it, got the hundred bucks. That was it. Didn't even look at it. Okay. Then I hear about these things and, and there's these, you know, I follow Gary Vee and you see these little drips and then you talk the kitty things and the here and tech. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. And I just keep hearing more and more about it. And then another news pop in it. So it's like, I've had all these like signals along the way, but it wasn't until like somebody actually pushed me, you know, into the ocean to where I then all of a sudden was involved with it. So I think people hear about NFTs, crypto and blockchain in maybe one of those two ways. One where they're like faced with a search situation where they're like, oh my gosh, I'm learning about this for the first time. This is crazy. I'm like, well, I'm intimidated. Or they're like, oh, I heard a little bit and a little bit and a little bit in a little bit, but it's really about what we do with that information and how we dive into it. So <laughs> I, I know it's a long bridge there, but did, was there a similar situation for you? Did, did you hear about blockchain a little bit and a little bit, you know, kind of monitoring that cancer or did it all of a sudden happen at once? And how did you dive into that? Yeah. So it was 2017. I uh, attended some type of um, 
gathering with a bunch of other people. I knew them not, not directly, but indirectly through another friend. And they're like, you want to grab a coffee? We're going to get, get a coffee. I'm like, okay, sure. And they're talking about crypto kitties. I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, you know, cryptocurrency, crypto kitties. And I'm like, okay. And I heard a little bit about it, but I didn't know much about it. And so I'm a very curious person. Generally, like you, you mention a word or you mention something to me, I'm, I'm going to research it. And I was just fascinated. I'm like, this is the future. This is the, the, the next level to physical currency. This is it. And I knew all it needed was adoption. And then when I read about smart contracts and the fact that it could replicate, and then there's a, you know, it's, it's extremely transparent in terms of what the transactions are doing and, 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 you know, who's authoring it. I'm like, all of this needs is time. And I just remember like, it took me six days and um, I was like, I'm, I'm ready to invest. And I invested a lot, quite honestly, in Ethereum. To me, it was the better of the two choices. Uh, and I remember telling 11 people, including my brother-in-law, who heard about it randomly because, you know, he reads a lot of news, who just wasn't that interested. But three of my friends out of the 11 decided to do it. And um, except for <laughs> the last couple of weeks, they were thanking me over the summer. <laughs> they were thanking me because one of them just had a child. And he's like, he was like so thankful over the summer because he listened to me. And I, I just made it a point to tell them, including myself, don't you know, invest what you can't afford to lose right. because this is a time sensitive thing. This is going to take time for the adoption to you know, take place. All right. So I'm excited to see how you describe and communicate this topic. So we're going to work through the 313 challenge as applied to blockchains, current, you know, cryptocurrency. Is there a specific sort of topic? Cause they all fit in together, but is there one lead dog that you would start the conversation with? Like if we were just meeting and you knew the conversation was going to go in that direction, what one would you start with? I just want to make it focused because there's so many aspects. So I, I think when it comes to talking about cryptocurrency or NFTs, I think people get a little confused because they think it's all relating to like monetary means, which, which it is because cryptocurrency, really, that's really the basis for it. So I think for me in this conversation, what really help would be what people can actually obtain, like you can obtain an NFT, which is a non-fungible token. So it is something that exists in the digital world. And for the first time, you can prove ownership of that digital asset. Okay, wait, wait, we don't want to get too much into that. Okay. So, right. so, so what I heard was that we can start this conversation and really run the 313 on NFTs. And as a result, we'll have to understand about the blockchain. We'll have to understand about the smart tracks. It's all there. So uh, so we'll look at that pyramid. We'll start with NFTs. And that's great because people are still hearing about it. And it's funny because they hear about how amazing it is. And as of the recording here in the end of January, 2024, there's been a few days where not anything NFT specific, but the entire market has been fluctuating. And with that, you have people who used to be excited and now they're scared or vice versa. So let's try this out. Can you tell me the problem that NFTs solve in one sentence without telling me what they actually do. And the logic here, the, the real logic for somebody here is that if I tell you what NFTs do, okay, then there's a certain amount of interest. But as we talked before, if you can explain to me the problem that NFTs solve, then I might be more interested. And I might not jump to conclusions about what they actually do. So from a communication experiment, it's very hard. Okay. So tell me the problem that NFTs solve without telling me what they do. 
And it's, it's just a matter of nomenclature and the words that you choose. So let's try it. I would say you could validate ownership of something that exists outside of the physical world. Okay. So tricky enough, if we look at that, you actually told me what they do. I did. <laughs> and I did, I, I did, I did. So, so what would the opposite of that be? So the opposite is that like, the problem is it's very, like, it's nearly impossible to prove digital ownership without any type of like, like, again, our instincts go to explain what they do. What is the problem that NFTs solve in one sentence without telling me what they do? Transparency. So again, that's kind of what they do, right? So, and, and again, that's only one word. So we want to have it into a sentence. So at least it creates some sort of structure. So think of something like, the problem is something that's really bloody. And that is the biggest problem. You don't have to go on and explain that transparency has part of the solution. That's the next part. Because if we can hook them with the problem, then they will actually be interested in listening to the solution. Whereas if you're an NFT enthusiast, you're like, oh my gosh, let me tell you about what NFTs do. People will be like, what? Why do I care about that? But if you're like, oh my gosh, here's this really big problem. Do you agree that it's a problem? Yeah, that's a problem. Is that a problem we're solving? I would think so. Well, guess what NFTs are? They solve that problem. Oh, I thought it was just about million dollar monkeys. No, 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 no. <laughs> so from a thought experiment, the problem that NFTs solve, let's try it again. And then I can help you out too, but I just want to give you another swing. The problems that NFT solves is for the first time in history, you can claim ownership. Okay. And this is fun. That's that you're literally telling us what they, so take the flip of that, take the flip of that. The problem is that never before in the history of the world, have you been able to have a transparent, documented, verifiable ownership of a digital property? That sounds a little bit too wordy buzzy, but let, let's try that, right? Because okay. you said for the first time in the world, that's the solution. So now we can say never before. So what, 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 what is it never before that was the problem? Never before were you able to prove. Okay. Never before were you able to prove. Digital original ownership? Or uh, I would say, yeah, digital original, which is that's kind of a digital original. So the problem is that never before in the history of our digital existence were we able to 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 verifiably or transparently. Which one's better? Um, verifiably to verifiably prove ownership of digital assets. Yeah, like full stop. Okay. If we took that sentence alone, now, if you notice, there's no mention of NFTs, there's no mention of crypto, there's no mention of anything, right? Do you think that if we took some random person off the street and said, hey, question for you. So right now, whether you know it or not, never before in the history of the world has there been an ability to prove ownership of digital assets. Can you see that that is actually possibly a really big, bloody, crazy worldwide global problem looking to the future they would either say yes or no right yeah do you think they'd say yes is it framed enough as a problem to understand do you think the common person would understand why that's important i think they would understand it but i don't know if they would care as much okay 
So that's why let's make it a little bit more bloody. We've never before been able to prove digital ownership, which what's the result? Why would people care? What's the blood? Which means everyone is so monetarily focused. So, but I, I don't I don't want to make it in terms of that, but that's how they're sold, which guarantees it's almost like bonds, right? Um, which guarantees it's almost, I almost think like a, like a deed of a property, right? Like, like you, you have a deed to your property. If you didn't have a deed to the property and you didn't have proof of ownership, then like, how are you going to protect it? How are you going to call the, the police to come and protect it? How, how do you have that, that right as the property? It's almost, could we make the jump and say that it's a property, right? Yeah, absolutely. We could also make it bloodier by saying that it, uh, you know, matriculates or it pays dividends or something that there's an enticement aspect to it. But is that, so the problem wouldn't be the enticement. The problem was that you wouldn't be able to, to, to capitalize on that, the upside essentially. Well, if you're someone who owns it, you'll be able to capitalize on it. So the sort of the want and, and the need is to. But if you can't prove digital, digital ownership, then none of that works. Yes, correct. So maybe the problem is that if you can't prove digital ownership of assets that could in, increase over time, then there's no, the, then the whole thing doesn't work. <laughs> it's, this, this is why it's, I mean, it's easier to talk about what NFTs are. It's harder to talk about the problems that they solve. And I truly believe that if more people understood the problems that they solve, they would be interested in it because they don't see the, the problem when you just talk about the solution, right? Correct. hundred percent. So Let's imagine we have somebody that's never heard about NFTs before. We just want to engage them in a conversation. We don't want to start by just saying, here's what NFTs are. We could say, actually, they could start it with, hey, what do you do? And you could then say, well, it's not really what I do. It's the problem that I solve. That's what I'm actually more interested in. That was what gets me up in the middle of the night to go on my computer. You say that, you set them up for it, and they're going to go like, oh, well, what do you do? What, what, what problem do you solve? Well, the problem is that. Up until recently, proof of digital ownership didn't exist, which means that there's billions of unrealized opportunity on the internet. Do you think that that's a problem? And then they, I mean, the way it's phrased, like if you're, you can't prove digital ownership and that is missing, that you're losing out on billions of dollars of economic value. Yeah, that's a problem. Would you be interested in solving that problem? Or do you have that problem? Well, I, I don't know. I don't own anything. So, so like, well, what if, yeah, see, this is, this, this is where it's interesting because we just then default to, well, it's a non-fungible token. And he said, and he had it, but that I think is confusing. It also, um, it's really about the early adopters like myself, like you, who are sort of in this space or interested in this space. And then other ones that are sort of are laggards, right? Who will only do it because it's the only thing to do. That's the only thing that everyone is doing. Like vending machines only take crypto or whatever the case may be, they'll, they'll finally adopt it. So I do think you get into this murky space of the desire may not be there. Not only is the information not clear, but the desire may not be there. So how do you make it more bloodier, which is a good term, for, that, for there to be interest, for them to smell you know, you know, the need for it. Okay. So let's do a thought experiment. Think of the world without NFTs, right? 
go back in time until whenever 2000, probably six or seven, because I know there was some real early stuff that was going on, but the world without them versus the world with them. Like some people, I think from the outside, see that it is a situation where if you don't get in early, then it's like, I'm not going to get in at all. And then I'll be too late. So there's a, there's a timing aspect to it. I wonder if we could leverage things like what people know, almost analogizing to the stock market, you know, that um, there's also sort of the, I guess this gets more into just Bitcoin and crypto in general, but there's a lot of power that you have as an investor that you've never had before, because maybe you don't have millions and billions to invest, but you, you know, there's a lot of, I listen to a lot of Tim Bilyeu and he's got these master classes with all these crypto experts and it's getting into, this is a crypto is a way to fight inflation. Crypto is a way to look at an opportunity that, so once a thousand year opportunity. And so a lot of emphasis is kind of on this early adoption jump in, but your point is like, well, the threshold to get involved is so high. The knowledge to get involved and feel comfortable is so high. Like at one point, do they just not even care? So what is our responsibility as enthusiasts and early adopters? How do we communicate this in a way to not push them into it, but just to help them understand it? And I think that's one of the biggest problems in the space right now. I think what's easier is if we talk about cryptocurrency in this space, because it really allows a level playing field because it sort of does away with fiat currency, right? It's okay, like so so maybe we're going back to the initial premise and I'm like, what do we start with? We literally started with NFTs and, and we ran into a wall. <laughs> yes, we did. So so maybe let's let's try it again. What is the problem that cryptocurrency is solving without any mention of what it is or how it works? There might be a lead into what it is, but for me, it's universal acceptance of a monetary means. Right. But remember, that's what, what it I does. Know, the know, challenge is, so let's reverse engineer it. So uh, the, the problem is that if you base an economy, a global economy on fiat currency, which is prone to things like inflation and hyperinflation. Transfer fees, banks, it's, it's all centralized. Yeah. Then what's the blood around that? Then what you lose control over it or your money can be devalued or you like as a consumer, what, what are you losing? I think it's more universal, right? It's a universal, not pay to play, but universal acceptance. It's, it's, um, it's if you travel, you're not sort of relegated with you know, currency fees and, and, um, and, you know, and, and um, you know, exchanges and things of that nature. So it's, it creates a more connected world one that's based on, I mean, there's a way to fact check it. There's a way to backtrack. There's a way to um, figure out its origin story. Could do, do we, I find ourselves going back to like blockchain now from crypto. <laughs> so can you explain cryptocurrency without understanding the blockchain? And, and I, but again, I mean, I, I appreciate this sort of deep thinking on it. And this is why I was so excited to talk with you is that the more we can empower people to have these conversations, like imagine if we, I mean, we don't know each other, but if, if I was literally trying to explain to you this, like you would have already been disengaged. You probably would have already moved on to the next. You'd be like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm confused. I don't need crypto. I don't need NFTs. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> wait, don't you want to buy an NFT? Wait, wait, why would I put the, <laughs> so, okay. So let's just break this down and let's go, let's reverse engineer it. 
it's obviously hard to start with the problem first, but there's power in that difficulty. Let's jump to the solution and let's explore within the solution which one we might be able to reverse engineer. So I'll go back to this question between, and let's make sure we have them all, between the blockchain, cryptocurrencies, smart contracts, and NFTs. That's really the, the connecting dots. Is there anything missing from that like master four? No, I would say those are the four main ones. Anything else just gets murky. Okay, so let's recap. You have the blockchain, which is the baseline that allows cryptocurrency to essentially exist, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or any Solana, anything that's within there, that's that. And then using cryptocurrency through a smart contract onto the blockchain is how you can document and prove ownership of digital assets which then has its own rabbit hole of what does that mean? Utility can be unlocked or not. Is it a picture of a monkey or is it, is it releasing consulting services that, that, that now all of a sudden is hidden behind that? So let's go in that order then. Tell me, let's talk about real quick, what is the blockchain? What is cryptocurrency? What is a smart contract? And what is an NFT? And I'll be listening for things that are the problems behind what they are. In its essence, the blockchain is really a series of programming modules and programming commands that allow digital assets to exist, allow digital assets to be transacted. That in its essence is what it is. And the block comes from, from what and this, I think you, you kind of have to understand decentralized in order to understand the blockchain. So there's a technology that allows these things to like each block is on top of each other. And so when you have block A and then B, C, D, E behind in front of it, it's almost impossible to change the first one because it's almost like you're sort of putting another bike lock and another bike lock and another bike lock. And so how do you get a few blocks back to undo the bike? You just can't. So if you had to explain centralized versus decentralized because cryptocurrency is decentralized because it's on the blockchain was decentralized, but Talk about decentralization real quick. The ability to, it, it's not, there's no gatekeepers. It's just one command center, so to speak. I'm, I'm just trying to make it very, very simple. Yeah. It's not anything that's held or officiated by any one bank or one company. It really just exists technically not in the ethers, but exists within the digital ethers. Okay. So you have these, these essential... I mean, I guess, would they be like guiding principles or, or, or baselines or assumptions, really? And the assumption is that if something is decentralized, then a single point of failure will not crash the system. So instead of having money at one central bank or a series of banks, everyone who is involved has a copy of all transactions as they're being made, which is the blockchain so that there's, you're taking the human error out of it. You don't have somebody looking at one block and then writing down notes and transcribing them to the next block. There's this digital real-time based on coding and, and, and algorithms that are already set. So we're taking the human risk out of it. Correct. Then how does cryptocurrency work with blockchain? So cryptocurrency is a way to accumulate and or transact digital assets. So in this case, monetary means. So you buy 0 0.001 of, of Ether, it trades just like the stock, you know, stock market trade, you know, trades, and then you're able to 
buy and sell. Okay. So cryptocurrency is, is built upon the blockchain. And just like a bank transaction, if I were going to put my card in a machine, the machine goes and checks with the bank to make sure I had the funds, make sure it knows where it's going, and then verifies that transaction. And I can leave the store knowing that they're going to, they, I've given them permission to take X amount of dollars from my account and put it into their account. But within cryptocurrency, you're, you're removing their cash register. You're removing the, it's the software that double checks and makes sure it's there to verify it. And do you want to try to explain the mining that happens to make that happen? Because I didn't understand that for a while. And that's a big part of it, right? I would love for you to go into it because for me to go into it would be so technical that we're missing the point of this conversation. Okay. So let's talk about a transaction on the blockchain with cryptocurrency. Someone initiates, I want to uh, I want to exchange something, whether it's for goods or whether it's just for value or whether it's for a different type of currency. I have a set amount that I am going to allocate to be sent. The actual blockchain has to do the calculations. Something has to happen to actually go and verify my account that I have funds. Something actually has to verify that you can receive funds, that the, that the actual wallet or the, the address is correct. And that process actually has to have something that takes energy to actually go in there and do it. And the whole system is incentivized by decentralized support. If you have a computer and a certain type of program, you can almost be waiting like um, almost, it almost makes me think of like an auction auctioneer block and the auctioneer's like, I got a transaction coming up. Orion's got to do something to solve you over here. Who's got, who's got time? Who's got time? Most people have their heads down because they're doing something. And in the back, you, sir, if you can complete the calculations on this transaction and you can go in your computer and you can match up and verify that Ryan has funds, it's going to be funds, then we are going to make the transaction and we'll give you a tiny sliver for your time. And if that person gets a tiny sliver of that transaction, but they're doing those transactions all day long, they are the lifeblood of the processing behind the different blocks that are chained together. Now, as of the current state of affairs in 2022, the energy it takes for that computer to be plugged into the wall and to process is an actual cost of the system. And there's a lot of, uh, not arguments, but heated discussion both ways about the envir environmental impact of crypto. And I've been doing research and listening to, to all sides, and I'm not going to get into it here, but it's maybe not as energy heavy as we might think. Certain elements of it are, are sort of blown out of proportion, possibly. And if the energy is coming from green energy, it's sort of a different conversation. So there is an environmental impact and that there's energy being used to incentivize or being used by the people who are incentivized to finish the transactions, to connect the blocks together, which makes this whole digital transparency work. And they call that energy gas fees, which- Yes, yes, gas fees, the actual gas that it takes. Yeah, but in retrospect, it's not, it's not, I think it could have been coined a different- Well, the way. gas is electric. It's like electric. Yeah, yeah, okay, see, this is confusing. The electricity costs, are called gas fees and they fluctuate based on how busy the auction is. And if everybody is, is doing transactions at the same time, but all these programmers have their heads down, one person who's busy might be like, well, 
I'll do that one on top, but it's going to cost you more because it takes more for me to do this right now. So there's a supply and demand. So you might buy something that has an, a monetary value of what's equivalent to 500 bucks, but then it might cost you an additional $122 to make that transaction. But that transaction is verified, it's provable, so that beyond a reasonable doubt, there's documentation that you have ownership, just like a deed to your property. You see, this, see, this is, this is why, like, if someone was, if I was listening to myself there, I'd be like, dude, you lost me at like the first couple sentences. Because, because it's very, even listening. And, and by the way, you did a great job. I, <laughs> I would have been super technical and it would not have made any sense to your audience. Even just listening to you, it just, the reason why is because there isn't a quick finish, right? It's a process. And so this process gets, it's like a, it's like a, it's like explaining someone how, you know, like how does a you know nuclear power plant work? You know that sort of thing. There's all these sort of steps to it, and people are just out at zero. If if there's no quick finish, they're like, no, forget it. And so I think that's the problem. That's the main problem: is do I really want to spend the time, energy, and the mental space to want to understand this and also participate in this? And I think at some point, when the interest gets high enough, people will give it a chance. Um, or at least the majority of people give it a chance. Because right now, only a few people give it a chance. And what's ironic about the the feeling and reality that there's just a few people, aside from that, blockchain and crypto, I believe it's crypto, is the fastest adopted technology in the history of the world. It took something like 12 years for people to adopt the internet to a certain point that cryptocurrency happened like within, like within fractions of that time. So it's this huge conundrum where more people than ever are jumping into it, yet it still feels like most people don't know about it. And well, I, therein lies this huge opportunity for people. And then <laughs> that's... <laughs> I, I do think there is, so my background is being a, a wellness coach. So there's a lot of psychology, positive psychology, psychology with this. But I do think a lot of it is because it is specific and there is specific like means and steps associated with it, along with the fact that it's monetarily right in order to, to do yeah, this. There's you risk. Know. There's risk. You're, you're investing money. It's not like you're collecting, you know, uh, coloring books. This is like, you have to use money to get out there and, and it's risky because it's so, new. Yeah. And because of that, there is a hesitance because they don't understand exactly what it is specifically. They only understand maybe the popularity of it, but just because it's popular doesn't mean it's going to be adopted. And so I think there's a part of, there's a reluctance there. Cause my brother-in-law, like he's, he was kicking himself over the summer. Um, now he's, he, you know, I still, still did really well actually, but you know, he just didn't want to sort of be seen in front of me as someone who just doesn't understand or, or, or couldn't understand. So what I'm realizing as we're running the 313 test on this as a, as a something to communicate, the reason why it's not working is that there are so many entry points. And so what I'm recognizing is that you almost have to pick and singularly step out each one of those steps in an order. And maybe the mistake is that we're trying to explain it all at once. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it actually reminds me of robo advisors. Back in the day, you would only be able to invest if you had a gatekeeper or you had a you know, financial advisor who told you about stocks and bonds. And obviously with the advent of the internet, you can research all these things, you can do you know, ESG, you can figure out anything you want. 
And then robo-advisors came into play, Robinhood and all the other, you know, Betterment. And they sort of allowed a very sort of open you know, playing field. It allowed people to not only access or get updated with the information, but they could buy and sell at, you know, at their leisure with very, very low costs. And so I think a part of this is also the fact that uh, it just needs some time, not time for people to get comfortable with it, but time for the message or the news to spread. Because right now it's just, it's really, to me, it reminds me of like a, right now, I think people are thinking of it as a fad, like something that's popular and something that's engaging, but it may not last forever, uh, which may or may not happen actually, because I, I knew the risk I took in it. And I told everyone that there's a risk in it. So I think that's a part of it as well. People are just so reluctant, especially after going through a pandemic to want to spend the money or spend the time to engage in something they, that they don't know will have a finish. Yes. And with risk comes reward, but with risk comes risk. <laughs> 100%. I think that even though it feels like we haven't made monumental steps in how to explain, I think the biggest takeaway for me here is that you can't expect to explain something that is super complex with various, you know, integral, integrated, interdependent parts as a full shebang. So what I think would be fun to kind of end here so that we give people hope is the order in which you should look at doing your research to start to learn more. And I've heard so many people that in the conversations, again, this is not financial advice. Neither of us are giving you financial advice, right? But everybody says, do your own homework. So I've been doing homework. I know you have been doing homework. Let's, let's finish up by helping people understand what different topics to research in possibly what order so that they can get those, as Tom says, Tom Bill, you says those first principles of thinking about how they work. And maybe that's the problem is that we're trying to describe what this is without really understanding how it works. So we need to maybe break these steps down. So for somebody who's listening, they're intrigued, but they're obviously still confused. Where would they start? And then step us through like a curriculum that we can, we can work through. I think to understand blockchain, it just would require you to understand a lot more the technical aspects. And I don't really think that's a good place to start. I mean, okay. I was an anomaly. I wanted to understand it. So I actually did a hackathon. I, I went to these events. I, I, I did my due diligence on that, but I have a technical background. I think the best place to start is cryptocurrency. Understand the space in general. So maybe set a Google alert for just some of the cryptocurrency names that you've heard of. You can go to a website called Cointelegraph, which is a really great resource for anything crypto related. There's an app associated with it. And I think I'm going to actually take something. So I, beyond become, you know, beyond being a wellness coach and uh, you know, someone who's a podcaster, I'm also a syndicated columnist. So I cover different events and I was supposed to cover CES in Las Vegas in person. I ended up attending virtually. And so there was a talk, um, a panel discussion on NFTs, what the, you know, WTF, which I thought was really interesting. And one of the individuals there was, uh, I think it was Eric Calderon from Artflux, he's the CEO. And he basically explained NFT is obviously NFTs are non-fungible token. So that's something that a fungible token is something that exists in the physical world. Non-fungible means something that sort of exists in the digital world. And he likened to, which I thought was very brilliant, is like, if you owe me $10, okay, I don't care how you give me the $10. You can give it to me in $5 bill and five, five singles, whatever the case may be. But NFTs are different is that I would care that you gave me that specific bill because it's an original, it's in its true form, and it's really what I want. And I can prove that through the blockchain. 
So I think the key is going around a circle is really to start off with sort of this aspect of what is cryptocurrency. And then if you're comfortable with that and you're comfortable to understand the mechanisms, you know, all the ways that you can obtain certain cryptocurrencies like Ethereum and, and you know, you know, like all the other ones, you know, Solana and, and all those, then to sort of figure out, okay, am I more comfortable with then attaching my bank account and making a transaction sort of happen and doing a wait and see, and then migrate or move towards this idea of NFTs, actually having the money be in the form of a digital asset of some kind, whether that's a picture or a digital picture or a video. And I think that's the key. I think you need to go into uh, a transition. Um, and I think it starts off with just understanding whether or not you understand crypto and how is it that has any relevance to your life and whether or not you think it's um, it's something that you are interested in, in participating in. All right. So I've identified a new target for the 313. I'm going to give it a try. The problem is that understanding the nuances and functionality behind the blockchain, cryptocurrency, and NFTs has such a high threshold of information that you need to understand. The problem is that most people write the whole thing off because it's too much. The solution is understanding that these technologies are interoperational and that to understand only one and not all will not give you a full picture. The market, the people who would be interested are people who want to invest their money and who believe that technology will continue to be a more important part of our daily lives, including ownership of digital assets. So there's like the three sentences. So now if we were to do it in one sentence, it could be something like, Because the world of NFTs are so confusing, try starting with understanding cryptocurrency first and use that as a gateway drug to understand its connected components. And with the three words, it's not really a one, two, three, it's it's a metaphor or an analogy. And so maybe you can think of, of NFTs as like a digital deed for property. And if you are like, I'm trying to buy a house and there are so many things that go into it. You can't just be like, I'm going to buy a house. You've got to look at so many different key elements from financing to researching to appraisal. Independently, each one is kind of easy to understand. But when you look at it all, it's intimidating and you need financial advice. You need people who are experts. You need appraisers. So you can't do this all your own. And so I think if you think of NFTs as a digital deed of digital property, then you might be able to think, well, there's a clerk's office and there's, there's people who are filing that and there's processes and rules and regulations. And so in the inherent challenges with understanding NFTs is that there is so much information to understand. And the solution is a step-by-step approach. Give yourself six days or more. Pretend like you're locked in a hospital and you have nothing other to, to do than to research and dive in to understand what you can't see. You can't see what's happening inside your body You can't understand what's happening out there in the digital world until you put your eyeballs to it, till you click, till you find, till you follow, Uh, you you listen to people. I've had so much fun listening to podcasts where people are explaining, but we've recognized that you cannot explain it all in one sitting. (laughs) That's the big lesson. 
I, I love it. That was a great way to uh, encapsulate that. I actually like your analogy about the house and it reminded me of about buying NFTs. It's like an estate sale, right? Oh. You're going into a digital house and you're buying paintings. You're buying, you know, sofas. You're, whatever you're buying is you're taking away from that estate sale. And if you've ever been to an estate sale, you, you, you know, they verify you, right? You have to be verified in order to even enter because they have to make sure that you can actually afford the things that you say you want to bid on. Or you know. Yeah, you can't just take it. You got you got, There's got to be a verified transaction. You got to hand the money. It's got to be documented. You got to, all these things. Well, hey, this, this is fun. I think it'd be fun to even have you come back in six months after we've both done more research on it and then it's more adopted. But, you know, if we can just get one person to admit and see us struggle through this and then recognize that the solution is to struggle through it. And if you're that type of person that's looking for learning what could be a sort of that next opportunity that we've all had FOMO about in the past, whether it's the internet or whether it's the invention of this or that, I'm really excited because I think it's here. And so I'm willing to risk it. I'm willing to look stupid trying to talk about it. And hopefully that inspires other to just start to do their own homework or research. If they want to find you, read all these inspirational articles that you're syndicating, read up on tech. How do they find you, sir? They can go to my website, thehumanresolve.com and my book, I Survived Cancer. Here's how I did it. Awesome. Well, it's it's awesome we connected. I like that we're talking here and let's use this as one of many dots in the future. And I will say finally, for anybody who is listening and looks at the market, whether it's up or down, the one piece of advice that I've learned is to zoom out. Zoom out, zoom out. And if you zoom out, that initial $100 that you invest in 2014, over a period of time, there's a good chance you might see an increase. So when in doubt, zoom out. <laughs> That's what I'm doing right now. But thank you for uh, your time today and, and struggling through this with me. I feel like I feel like we can overcome this together just by... Uh, having an excuse maybe to do a lot more research than we might've intended. I appreciate that, Ryan. And I love that whole pregnant pause thing that you um, always talk about. It's really great because when it comes to this, I think people are trying to understand too quickly. I think the thing is to just that ingest one bite at a time. And bite, he means B-Y-T-E, ladies and gentlemen. Correct. He's being funny and he didn't even know it. Well, <laughs> thanks, buddy. I look forward to staying thanks. connected with you. And all if right. anybody else is listening to this and you like it, there's plenty more. We're all about trying to communicate more effectively because people don't care about what you do. They care about the problem that you solve. And if you can articulate the problem that you solve without telling people what you do, then inherently they will be interested in you and what you do. So with that being said, Here's another 313, and we are out. Peace out, buddy. Great to talk with you. Yeah, thanks, Ryan.